Hello and welcome to Switchbacks, a travel podcast where we reflect on our year visiting all 59 U.S. national parks. Whether you're planning to visit your very first park or you bleed gray and green, we're here to share our insights on exploring, understanding, and loving America's best idea. So thanks for tuning in. Today we're chatting about two parks that require extra preparation. We'll also answer a listener question about asking park rangers the right questions. Are you all settled in now? I am. Very comfy. In you our don't look very comfortable. In our little studio here. On the floor coffee of our living table. room. It's the coffee table. What are you drinking? Child. Choc- <laughs> Chocolate My milk, like son. always. <laughs> What are you drinking? It looks gray. Why does you it look, lame-o. Why does it look gray? Uh, lighting. Chemicals. <laughs> I'm drinking water. How can it have chemicals? It's pure almond milk with Hershey's chocolate syrup. Genuine. Only the best. Yes. It says so right on the label. So Genuine. Look very good. It doesn't look nearly as good as my cold ice water. Minus so, ice. Anyway... We've got something coming up this week that is of particular significance. Yeah, and it's probably the reason why we're recording this podcast at 10.59 on Wednesday night when we usually release it on Tuesday mornings. Whoops. (laughs) Now, a few things. This week has been pretty crazy. So besides the eclipse happening on Monday, we wanted to, and us wanting to write about the eclipse, We're also working on this big project, which if you've been paying attention, you know that we have written a book and it releases on Friday, which is when you are hearing this, it'll be tomorrow. That's so exciting. Yeah. On the National Park's 101st birthday. It's our little gift to the National Parks and to all of you because it's going to be awesome. It's about the Mighty Five in Utah National Parks and how to make the most of your visit, whether you're doing all, one, two, anywhere in between. It's got a bunch of info, a bunch of fun facts, our own stories, pictures, uh, some secrets, the best trails. Itineraries, like really detailed itineraries for if you're visiting. We have a sample itinerary for if you're visiting for two days or four days, and of course you can adjust those as needed um it's a ton of information it's 75 pages full color we do have some uh plenty of pictures sprinkled throughout but it's not a photo book and that's the 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 thing that i think differentiates it from other books other travel books uh the most yeah so and i'm proud of that fact because i'm not necessarily proud of our pictures but i'm proud (laughs) of our information i think we do a really good job of laying it out in a way that's beneficial for new park visitors and experienced park visitors like us. Hopefully just like this podcast. So you got to check it out. Ebook format first on Friday. Uh, we'll be posted on our blog, switchbackkids.com. Oh, yeah. So shall we move on to our podcast today? Yeah. We've got two really, really iconic parks to talk about today. Oh, first, you mentioned the eclipse, though. I want to mention that we 
that had, this podcast is going to eclipse the, any other event that happened this week. Sure. <laughs> Our book release is, is going to eclipse the eclipse. Good one. I'll, <laughs> I'll just let that one fester in Let's the, not. In the dead air. Let's not. Go ahead. No, so we actually got to see the eclipse from downtown St. Louis in a national park, Jefferson National Expansion Memorial. We've talked about it before because it's our hometown park. A.K.A. the Gateway Arch. That's right. The Arch. So it's really cool just to be on the NPS grounds, to be with a bunch of other people because it's right in the middle of downtown. Everybody out over their lunch break, uh, you know, from all the offices and whatnot like like i was uh it was uh not the total eclipse from there it was 99.98 percent covered but it was still really cool um and being in the national park definitely made it more special so check out our post it has really cool pictures that we took but also the upcoming solar eclipses when and where they are we're gonna have another shot at getting into the totality path in just seven years so i'm already Get excited pumped. for that yeah it's and gonna be fun. see what other national parks you could have been in for this national uh or this eclipse eclipse eclipse, eclipse. a lot of fun putting that post together good but today Today. Today. So today we're, we're, we're starting our podcast, officially, if you didn't understand that. Um, we're starting a new theme this week, all about park logistics. So today's topic is about planning ahead for your national parks visit. So in this theme of park logistics, we'll also be talking about seasonal considerations when you're visiting the parks um, and We'll talk about a, a couple other things, too, with that. There's a lot that goes into visiting a national park, but today we're focusing on some of the planning you can do ahead of time to enhance your experience. So, here are the two parks we're talking about today. The first one is... The one and only. The one and only... First national park in the U.S. Yellowstone. Yellowstone. Dragonstone. <laughs> no, <laughs> just Yellowstone. Okay, I forgot. Boring old Yellowstone. Yeah. So this is the world's first national park. Let that sink in. World's first national park. Founded in 1872. So the... What do you want to talk about first with Yellowstone? <laughs> well, first let's talk about just the spe- specific logistics piece, since yes. that's our theme. Yep. Um, we really recommend for Yellowstone, since it's so easy to get overwhelmed and you know you feel like you got to do it right, or at least we did, because it's such an iconic park. You you have to make the most of your time there. We recommend plan by the map. So don't wait until you drive up to the entrance to get your park map. Find it online ahead of time. You can even email the park and ask them to send it to you in the mail. Uh, They do that with park brochures for free. But um, Yellowstone is so huge and spread out that 
we recommend, first of all, getting the map and then understanding, number one, how many days you have. So that can really determine what you can do and how you should approach the park. Number two, which areas will you visit on which day? So, so plan out your activities by area by by geography instead of just saying oh here are my top three trails i want to hike in yellowstone um that's a good way to do it too but you have to know where those things are because just understand that this park is massive and so saying well in the morning i want to do this trail and in the afternoon i want to hike this trail well they might be they might be uh like 20 miles away and it might there might be big traffic jam from the bears (laughs) so it might take really really long so i would suggest break apart the number of days you have to visit yellowstone by which which areas you want to see so the park is nicely set up in a figure eight pattern anyway so that you can really navigate um your your day loops strategically And just an example, if your two goals are to see the famous Yellowstone wolves and the famous Old Faithful geyser, those are in two completely different areas. Wolves mostly range in the north, if you're lucky enough to find them. Old Faithful, down in the central, more southern region, uh, where all the geysers are. So, like you said... You have to make sure you know where the stuff is and you aren't running hundreds of miles across the park. Right. And so this brings to the third point, which is where will you sleep each night? Um, So that makes a big difference because you don't want to be backtracking. You don't want to get all the way out to a certain thing in the park and then have to backtrack all the way back to your campground to eat lunch or something like that. So you want to be really strategic. You can always... Um, If you're someone who doesn't mind like packing up and moving every day, you can kind of move your campsites to where uh, wherever you think you'll be that day or just plan out your your trips in a loop around your campsites. So in the park, there are 12 campsites, 2000. Let me look this up because I wrote it down. There are 12 campgrounds and 2000 campsites. Of those 12, five are reservable online through Yellowstone National Park Lodges. So you can reserve quite a few of these campgrounds ahead of time. If you're visiting in the summer, that's pretty much the only way you should do it. That's the way I would highly, highly recommend doing it. Now, we stayed at, in, we visited in, and we'll talk a lot about our, our personal experience, but since we're talking about camping, we visited in uh, late May of 2016 and we stayed in Madison campground which was um was it not reservable at that time I believe so because we didn't have a reservation because it was too early in the season we Mm -hmm. showed up and we we were able to get a site but it might it was one of the last ones I think definitely yeah so even in even in the spring these sites are going to fill up so if especially if you're visiting in the summer double check not double check, reserve ahead of time. It's really interesting if you go to the the Yellowstone website, there's a list of all the campgrounds, whether or not they're open or closed for the season, and what time they filled on um, specific days. So what time they filled yesterday and what time they filled today. Most of these are like 
6, 7, 8, 9 a.m. So you can tell that if you're going to try to make it to these campgrounds um, in a first come first serve sort of way, you're going to have to arrive very early. Yeah, and that just shows that Yellowstone does things a little differently than a lot of parks because it gets so much crazy traffic. Uh, They have lots of resources like when campsites typically fill up during the day. I've never seen that before, but they really you know, try to take care of people. They try to allow you to be prepared and plan for your trip. So take advantage of that uh, and really explore the website in particular. Yeah, I know on their homepage they have a really nice video just about how to visit the park in su- the summer of 2017. So they, they are very up-to-date with keeping people informed and um, giving people strategies for navigating some of the crowded areas and um, they're just their website's really good so go check though that one out uh, for sure before you visit the park um, this this is all about planning ahead remember so and these are all things to do before you visit or before you even start planning your trip and bonus tip what about following Yellowstone on social media? We actually ran into their social media manager when we are in Yellowstone. We, we went to we, one of their Instameets. Yeah, we did an Instameet, which was basically they advertised through their social media, mostly Instagram, that they're going to have this hike, uh, this meetup for everybody who's around and follows them. Uh, and go on a hike and get some photographs. And it was just a fun little thing to connect people, f- take it from the virtual world where we all get you know, caught up into the real world of Yellowstone, which is why we're following them in the first place. Yep. And finally, when you're planning, something to remember, of course, is to always be flexible once you get into the park. So you might have this really pretty itinerary, and then you might be sitting for half an hour in a traffic jam because someone wants to take a picture of a squirrel. So things happen. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We've, there are bear jams, elk jams, bison jams, and even squirrel jams that happen when tourists are trying to spot the wildlife. So be careful, but also be really flexible and remember that you're on vacation. Don't get mad. So do you want to go through? Yeah, there you go. (laughs) Glad. Sponsoring Switchback Kids. Now, do you want to go through the, uh, what we did then using what we just said, our principles and say, uh, or guidelines and say how many days we had, where we visited, where we slept? Sure. Like we said, we visited in late May, so... We experienced a lot of rainy weather. Also, it snowed two days that we were there, which was kind of hard to deal with in late May when we thought it was going to be nice. Um, but and, but still, even with the, the kind of crummy weather, the, it was very crowded at most times of the day. So the crowds were pretty congregated around central areas. They were also pretty predictable, but there really wasn't a way to get around the crowds because most of the trails were closed due to the snow or uh, bear management. 
Yeah, one way, though, that we did manage to get away from people was using some dispersed camping around Yellowstone, which you probably won't hear of in the guidebooks or the mainstream uh, travel information. So uh, we just talked about how there are 12 campsites within the park. We definitely recommend getting reservations. Uh, However, we don't always follow our own advice. And when we were doing our big trip, we didn't plan that much ahead of time, especially by nine months in, around May. Um, So we went outside the town of Gardner on the north side of Yellowstone. We did some dispersed camping in Gallatin National Forest. And it was high up on a hill, and you actually got incredible views of into Yellowstone, over the town, and ended up being a really nice sunset too like it seems like we get anytime we do dispersed camping but that was our first night and then we sent went had another dispersed camping night outside of the town of West Yellowstone um, again because we had failed to get uh, reservations and went um, into West Yellowstone then a little north of that into some national forest area So that was great free camping, but the last two nights we had, we were in Madison Campground. That's near the west entrance as well, and that was uh, first come, first serve at the time, but really um, just convenient being pretty close to a few junctions allowed us to uh, get to a lot of the areas we were hoping to explore. Um, easily. So you want to, now that we covered camping, Elizabeth, you want to talk about some of the other highlights stuff we did? Yeah. So, so Yosemite, Yosemite. (laughs) Yellowstone's famous for, of course, Old Faithful, um, the, the geyser that faithfully erupts every 90 minutes ish. Um, it's also famous for a lot of other geothermal features. So these would be like the other geysers we saw, the hot pots, the is that what it's called paint pots mud pots hot springs there you go steam vents oh yeah oh yeah i wrote it down see oh (laughs) (laughs) you're not as impressed not as impressed um and also it's really known for its wildlife so there are bison roaming everywhere there's a lot of elk there are of course bears that you will probably see from the road somewhere. Definitely saw some grizzly bears, saw some black bears too. Mm-hmm. Um, the grizzly bears actually, they're really far away, but they had their cubs. Uh, the mama had their cubs following them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, there are wolves, like you mentioned earlier, that have returned to Yellowstone, or we, they've been reintroduced to Yellowstone. And we happened to stumble upon, in when we were uh, driving through Lamar Valley, we happened to stumble upon an overlook where a bunch of wolf enthusiasts were uh, pointing their, mm, not a microscope, not a telescope. Not a binocular, but a scope. Scope. It, just, just a viewing <laughs> scope, right? Okay. Yeah, it's, it's like a telescope, but for not as far. Yeah. <laughs> it looks like a camera. It looks like a big camera, but it doesn't take pictures. <laughs> what is the point of it? Just kidding. So, so they had pointed their scopes at the wolf dens, and we got to see wolf pups, and we got to see the mom wolf, which was very exciting. And also just hearing their stories about the this success story 
of survival in uh, of the wolves in Yellowstone was really interesting. Yeah, apparently it's not very often that the wolves den with their new pups so close to the road. So this was a super big treat for all these wolf enthusiasts that come year what after year. What kind of enthusiasts? Wolf, wolf, wolf. Now wolf. everybody, everybody makes fun of me because Maybe I say you should wolf. change. Um, it's like it's it's like you're you know you're wrong. Yeah, I know I'm wrong. Okay. I just don't like the L sound, like wolf. That's so much work. It's like why well, I say milk and not milk. <laughs> Nobody says milk. <laughs> <laughs> that's not how it's pronounced either. Milk. That is. That's that's what I hear what when about, you say say, it. say the Gulf. The Gulf. You said golf. <laughs> Yeah, well, I don't... These L words drive me crazy. Like the Gulf of Mexico. Well, actually, they don't really drive me Wolf crazy. Wolf and Gulf. Because Gulf. I just don't, I don't bother really saying them correctly. Except when I was with these wolf enthusiasts, I had to <gasps> pronounce wolf correctly or else I knew they would like make fun of me and not let me look through their scopes. <laughs> and uh, anyway... I pretended like I could say wolf for that couple hours. Um, but that was a super unexpected treat. Uh, and Yeah, so Yellowstone's also known for, besides their wildlife and besides their uh, geothermal features, which, which took up a lot of our time, there are also a few areas like Yellowstone Lake and the Grand Canyon of the Yellowstone. There are two yeah. of the upper and lower falls. There are gorgeous. There were a lot of other waterfalls we saw. There's the Grand Prismatic um, Geyser. Not Geyser. It's like it's a... like a just geothermal feature like, I don't know, probably a spring mostly, but, mm-hmm. but it's got all sorts of different colored algae around it. Yeah, so it's like that's a what rainbow makes it, explosion. Yeah, the rainbow color. Uh, you've probably seen pictures. Um, just a lot of cool stuff. So w- probably my favorite day was when we were... When we were in the upper geyser basin and we were just chasing geysers and we, you know, they give you the approximate eruption schedule for the day and you can kind of see uh, which, you know, you can kind of plan out your day that way. And we just walked all the boardwalks. I think we saw Old Faithful erupt five times, which tells you how yeah. long we were there. We were in the visitor center reading up on everything and we went across to the bookstore and got some coffee. I did. We got Just there. Enjoyed the, the view. Got there at the very earliest. Um, right when they turned on the eruption. Right. <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> we we got there way early in the morning, where there were just a few other people at Old Faithful, so saw it, had it all to ourselves almost then, and like she said, after that, w- I just loved walking around the the whole basin you can spend the whole day there mm-hmm. because there it's just so big so many geysers that i agree that was my favorite day too because it's just so different than anywhere else in the national parks lots of places have waterfalls we saw bears at lots of other places but the geysers of yellowstone are like nothing else so make sure you spend as much time as you need there don't rush yourself you could easily spend a whole day just in the upper geyser basin but also make sure you go around to the areas like west thumb 
and go close to the lake too because that's where some of the really cool mud pots are um, and just seeing the geysers in different settings is, is really neat so one thing we didn't do I will say is go backpacking mm-hmm. and because yeah. we couldn't yeah there were a lot yeah, that's debatable. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> it's really not. I think we could have made it happen, but we had plenty to do otherwise. If we were to go back, I would push for a backpacking trip to uh, a backcountry geyser and maybe camping overnight near a hot spring because that sounds pretty romantic, huh? So romantic. especially if we both burn to death yeah like people tend to do in yellowstone yeah not cool yeah i guess we can't talk about yellowstone without saying um always stay on the boardwalk always follow the posted signs these geysers do kill people every year uh these you know they fall in through the crust into the boiling hot water and they're usually not a step off the trail they're usually a quarter of a mile off the trail wandering around yep so don't mess with it never i would never on that cheery note (laughs) is there anything else you want to say for yellowstone i mean it's just such an iconic park and we really wanted to do it justice and most people i think that visit really want to do it justice So plan ahead, like we said in the theme of this podcast, plan ahead, planning ahead will make you, um, it'll just get you prepared with a, with a plan. That's not what I meant to say, but it'll, it'll get you ready to, to approach the park and kind of know what's going on ahead of time. So I like to have just like a basic menu. I like to actually write things out on a printed out map so I can see like, I can mark different trails. I, I just, my, my mind works ge- geographically, I think, when I'm planning. And for a park like Yellowstone, this really helps because it's so massive. And if you're one of those people who just either doesn't have time to do it all ahead of time or really likes to do stuff when you're there, when you can get all the information most up to date from the rangers, that's great too. But I would really recommend just sitting down for the first you know, hour you're there, you just get to the visitor center, you'll want to go run off to do all the cool stuff right around you, but take a second, plan out your next however many days, because that little time up front will really calm your mind, allow you to have a plan, and to not have to think each time and make a new decision each change of activity, because that just adds unnecessary stress to the uh, to your trip and if you make all those decisions up up front um, then you can just enjoy it and and go with your plan yep shall we move on to park number two this is another big one it is another iconic park yeah probably because of the photography and the burrs the burrs the burrs the burrs we're talking about Katmai National Park in Alaska. Yes, in Alaska. Alaska's big and Katmai is you cannot drive there. So, that's the first thing that that's the first logistic hurdle. So, getting there, getting to Katmai is difficult, it's expensive, it's 
you know, it's limited, you need reservations, things like that. Um, first, I think we're going to talk about the specific logistics of getting to Katmai. So we'll talk about how you can get there, and then we'll talk about how we got there and how much money we spent getting there. So how you can get there, first you have to get to Alaska. Let's say that first. <laughs> Most everything operates out of Anchorage. So have your little home base in Anchorage. Um, you can fly in Anchorage. We drove to Anchorage. Um, from there, you'll want to visit Katmai is a big park. You'll want to visit Brooks Camp. Is there anything else? Is there any other place that you would even go? Well, there's the place on, I believe it's Cook Inlet, mm-hmm. right? Um, it's another really popular bear viewing spot. Yes. So there are other options of places you can go, mostly through a private tour or a guided right. you, um, situation. It, private if tour. If you're going to go on your own, and even if you're going through a private tour, we would highly, highly, highly recommend Brooks Camp. So this is, let me first paint a picture for you. Imagine the photo you've seen a million times of a waterfall, salmon jumping up that waterfall, and bears grabbing the salmon out of the waterfall and eating them. That is Brooks Camp. That is at Brooks Falls in Brooks Camp. If you want to see that in action, this is where you need to be. So, And you will. It's not just like a pipe dream. You will see this if you go to Brooks Camp. Almost guaranteed. Yeah. Especially, well, well <laughs> if, if you go especially at a if time. you go at these very specific months of the year, uh, we went in July. Because, Switchback guarantee. Yeah. We went in July um, because, first of all, that's when our Alaska trip lined up. But also, that is one of the months where the salmon make their huge run up the falls or up the river to spawn. And that attracts a ton of bears to the area. So Brooks Camp is hopping in July. It is also hopping in September. So skip August for whatever reason. The bears don't like August, um, probably because the salmon don't like August. And in September, they congregate more at the mouth of the river. So you won't see as many jumping up the falls. You'll see more bears fishing around the the shallow, calmer um, river mouth. I didn't see mouth. any bears jumping up the falls. Oh, did I say that? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I made it seem like you did, and that's the <laughs> important part. So here's how you can get there. You can get there from an arranged guided tour. That's the most expensive option, but it's also the least amount of hassle. So if you want just something that's easy and that's going, you don't have to really figure out logistics on your own, you can get plenty of guided tours that take you from Anchorage to Brooks Camp and back, sometimes in the same day. You can also, what we did, well, this is slightly what we did, variation. There are regularly scheduled flights from Anchorage to King Salmon. So we went, we actually went, did this on the way back. Um, so we, just a little side note, we got there on a chi- chartered flight from Port Allsworth, which is where Lake Clark National Park was, which the chartered flights are about $500 an hour, I believe is what I remember them being. Um, so ours was a little bit more than that for both of us to get from Lake Clark to Katmai or to King Salmon. But then you have to get from King Salmon to Brooks Camp, which is $206 per person round trip. You can't really avoid that extra cost from anything I've seen. So yeah, get to King to Salmon t- on a regularly scheduled flight and then get from King Salmon to Brooks Camp 
on this $200 flight. Um, and King Salmon to Brooks Camp is only one airline. It's Katmai Air. Katmai Land, Kat, yeah. Yeah, Katmai Land. Um, and it's float planes, which is kind of cool. And it's like 20 was, minutes. It's really quick. That was the quick. first time that we'd done a float plane, mm-hmm. and they just land right on the lake in front of Katmai because there isn't an airstrip. Um, so. Yeah, so once you get to Brooks Camp, here are even more logistics Where are you going to sleep if you're going to stay overnight, which I highly recommend because being there for one day was just, is just, I don't think that's enough. Um, We, there is a lodge, which is popular with, with people. Um, It's more expensive, obviously. I'm not sure how much it is, but we stayed in the campground, which is $12 per person per night. So we ended up, we were there for two nights. So it was $48 total for us. Um, The campground though is very, very, very tricky. So logistic nightmare to book the campground because the campgrounds are open for the the whole entire calendar year. They open, I think it's January 5th. It's somewhere in the beginning of January. Um, And usually they're gone within a matter of minutes because people get on and they book um, more than what they need to stay in the park. They book, they reserve ahead of time, and then decide when they're going to actually visit, and they cancel the other days. So Basically, that's, they hoard spots. Yes. So they hoard like two weeks in a row where they think they might want, and they pay for it. So they, you have to pay up front. So they're paying for all these to reserve these sites, but then they know they're just going to cancel the ones that they don't end up needing. So we talked to a ranger who confirmed this. We talked to Cat My Land who confirmed that this is the pattern of what people do. So they said... When we, cause, because when we checked, it was all full, of course. It was booked for the days when we wanted to go. So they said, keep checking, keep refreshing, keep checking. Um, people cancel even at the last minute. And this was like in late April, maybe, maybe May, that we first started looking into Alaska. Oh, I think it was Alaska. more like February. You think so? Okay. Yeah, it was a little, it was it, early. It was early. It was definitely early. And we knew that we were going to have to get this locked down because it was so popular. Um, and so we just kept refreshing, kept refreshing, kept freaking. I was freaking every, out. Every couple of weeks, you know, we'd check back in. I, you know, kept seeding the idea of, well, there's always the backcountry. Yeah, there is. And that's, that's a decent backup uh, plan for when you don't ha- you can arrive at Brooks Camp without a reservation and then just camp in the backcountry, which you have to hike a mile and a half. Um, away from Brooks Camp, away from like the the developed area, Brooks Camp, and uh, there are bears everywhere, and the campground has an electric fence, which makes you feel a lot, lot, lot better about sleeping at night. <laughs> so I was kind of getting nervous. We were in Kotzebue, Alaska, so we were like two parks away from visiting. We were probably a week away from visiting. Brooks Camp, when we refreshed the page, and there were two spots available for the campground for our nights, and we snatched them up, and we got to camp inside the campground. Yeah. Happy ending. Yeah. Very happy, especially <laughs> for one of us. Uh, no, but I you? was really, gl- yes, yeah. so glad. Yes. So, I was really glad we were able to get um, the campsite. It was just uh, a good community, because everybody's really excited to see the bears. They, you know, come back at night and you're cooking in your um in the 
like the, the patio, shelter. the shelter, thank you, the with everybody really and nice. sharing stories about all the bears you saw that day. Uh, so it was um, really good to be there and definitely just takes persistence. That's, that's the bottom line. Um, but also have that backup plan of what you're going to do if yeah. it just doesn't work. If you, if you are good with, back, with the possibility of hiking into the backcountry, then you can kind of you can kind of play this game. Um, if not, you might need to make other arrangements. Um, which I was afraid I was so afraid we were gonna have to camp in the backcountry, but it would have been okay. I'm sure it would have been fine. There is a a nice trail that you can go up, hike a mile uh, and a half away, and it goes up a hill uh, and. Uh, basically on top of this mountain that's there's no reason for bears to go up there so um you know i think as far as what we heard from the ranger it was a pretty bear um i don't know they just don't frequent that that area in particular Mm -hmm. so there are ways if you're worried about the bears in the back country to kind of limit your chances of an encounter yeah so one last logistic or budget sort of thing that we would recommend you do is reserve ahead of time a tour to a bus tour to Valley of 10,000 Smokes. So this is an area of Katmai that is restricted only to this bus guided tour. Um, it's expensive. It's $96 per person, which includes the your bus out there and a, a guided hike and lunch. Um, now, there's this little thing called Alaska Tour Saver that we bought, which is the coupon book which helped us out through a lot of the different national parks. The book is $99, but then you get all these buy one, get one free coupons, and this was one of them. So that essentially paid for the book that we then used for other parks like um, a campsite in Kenai Fjords and um, a hike in Wrangell St. Elias. Glacier hike in Wrangell St. Elias Mm -hmm. and a few other things too, a few museums and whatnot. So highly recommend Alaska Tour Saver. That's just my little side note there. Um, Besides those logistics to visiting Katmai, um, our experience made all of those kind of annoying logistics just like fade into the background. Yeah. (laughs) It was so amazing. It was truly once in a lifetime. So true. I felt like we were in a different world where bears... Where like people Ruled. lived with bears and bears made all the rules. <laughs> it was crazy. It was crazy to see. Yeah, so we've kind of painted the picture for you a little bit, but let's get more into the experiential side of it. Once you fly in, you land on the water, it taxis over to the beach, and as you step off the beat, the plane, you grab your bags, you immediately get whisked into the visitor center, uh, which isn't really a visitor center. It's more of a cabin. And they sit you down within the first five minutes. You're watching the bear safety video. So that's really, you know, they take everything really seriously there. There hasn't been an incident uh, with a bear and a visitor in in a very long time, as far as I know, um, mm-hmm. at least when we had been there last uh, last summer. So it was um, you felt really prepared, you felt confident, 
and then you walked outside after the video. Still, and... I feel like you're walking out like onto the moon or something. Like when yeah. I was walking out, like what's going to happen? Where? When are we going to see our first bear? Like it was. It's like it's not like seeing a bear somewhere else because these bears, they're they're like they're Brooks Camp bears. They're just different. They they're used to people. They live with people. They're around people all the time. Um, they don't bother people in their entire history of coexisting at Brooks Camp with people. They don't, they haven't had any negative encounters. So basically when you walk out, we went and set up our camp stuff first, but then we pretty much headed straight to Brooks Falls, which is the iconic waterfall where the salmon are jumping and the bears are catching them. And so we're, we're passing through Brooks Camp, um, Every now and then you hear like a ranger walking by and there's chatter on their radios like talking about where one bear or the other is and you know how they're trying to to divert them from um, the the visitors. Um, You cross the mouth of the river and it's got this really cool bridge that you walk across the river and you can see all the bears around that people are pointing at, um, you know, either off in the distance or in the weeds, um, just fishing. So it, it's just, you can feel an energy that's really hard to explain, but everybody is, you know, so captivated and fascinated by these bears, but also very respectful. And, you know, once you see one, uh, in front of you or coming towards you or wherever, uh, it has the right of way and you have to you know, get back into these interspersed, uh, basically safe zones of, of uh, walkways. And they kind of put you with a lot of other people. So because that's kind of a big rule about bear safety is that there's usually safety in numbers. So they kind of group all of the visitors that are around the area in one spot because of that sort of like you don't want a a bunch of visitors spread out where the bears feel surrounded or anything like that. Yeah. So, yeah. So we walked we walked down the trail. the The whole Brooks Camp area is maybe um, like from the campground to the to the first bridge that you cross over the river is maybe. Half, half, mile. half a mile, mm-hmm. and then it's another mile and a half up to Brooks Falls. Right. Um, so the whole Brooks Camp area that you can walk around is very small, very doable for all people. It's it's um, pretty flat, um, easy trails. So you cross, you walk across the bridge, and that, that is where I believe we saw our first bear in the water. And we were on the bridge, so we felt safe, <laughs> and we just saw the bear's head floating through the water <laughs> and the, the bears are just like swimming doggy style doggy paddle style um through through the water and it's just it's just really interesting we saw our first one and eventually we got up to brooks falls itself and that is you know immediately you can recognize it from you know pictures that i'm sure you've all seen before documentaries whatever um and it when we got there it had i think three bears the first time that were just kind of relaxing around the the falls and it's kind of strange because you're so excited you're amped up that you're seeing these bears for the first time but um, they're just 
they've been there all day. Mm-hmm. They've literally been there for six hours straight in the same spot, just fishing and eating fish after fish. So it's kind of a, a fun, a funny juxtaposition um, of emotions. But uh, the the people all around you, you know, uh, there are lots of big photographers there. Um, you can get really close because this platform that's right by Brooks Falls is is right by the falls. So you get a really good view of everything the bears are doing. And the salmon are just jumping like crazy. They're jumping constantly over the falls. Um, so that's, that's just cool in itself to see all of them. Uh, and if they... It was, it was that was funny too because they never make it up the falls. We saw like two maybe the whole time. Yeah, they it, just like smash themselves <laughs> against the rocks. It's so sad. It's like they didn't tell their salmon friends that you're not gonna make it. Yeah, stop trying. <laughs> <laughs> they they probably they try over and over again, and I don't know what the success rate is for these salmon, but it's gotta be like one make out of every 20 30 jumps um, that's not science guys yeah <laughs> eventually some of them just tire themselves out after beating themselves against the waterfall and they just like they just float die. down well they, they just float um defeated down and eventually get scooped up by a bear yeah so that's the Brooks Falls experience. <laughs> um, it is, you do feel pretty safe because you're on an observation deck that's like elevated and high up away from the bears. Um, so that was my favorite place to be. <laughs> when you're walking through the trails, you do literally see bears everywhere. So just be aware. Of course, you'll know all this when you get there. Um, and then finally, Valley of 10,000 Smokes. That was a full day experience that we got to do on our second day in the park. And... We took a bus. It, um, it's a bus tour, so it's, it's um, narrated. You're with a ranger. You make a few stops, and then you arrive at the Valley of 10,000 Smokes, which is this just crazy area of the park where, what did they say? It was more, it was a, a, an eruption bigger than Mount St. Helens. Yeah, multiple, multiple times bigger explosion. Um, it is called Nova Rupta. And it was back in the 1800s, I believe. This whole area just blew its top. And that is actually the whole reason why the park was created, was to protect this uh, very recent, very unique area of completely devastated uh, land that was just covered in ash. Uh, And when the first explorers went to check it out after the eruption in the early, even up until the early 1900s, it was still steaming. There was still smoke coming out of the middle of the earth all around the valley um, because of the eruption, and that's why it's called Valley of 10,000 Smokes. Now, unfortunately, the smokes have really disappeared, but it still is gorgeous to see this landscape of completely ash-covered, uh, volcanic rock-covered land. And there are a few rivers that just carve deep 
uh, canyons. Yeah, to and... me it looks like canyon lands mixed with like it like with mountains in the background with high snowy peaked mountains in the and background. a little petrified forest even yeah yeah just a crazy the painted desert part of petrified yep. forest yep crazy combination of features you've we, we saw all over the other the rest of the country that we didn't really know that about Katmai because of course everything you see about Katmai is all about the bears so it was interesting to see a totally different side of the park and I'd highly recommend it. I think it was well worth the money. Yeah, and offers a great just because personally we loved seeing the bears, but it was a great change of pace because this isn't in the bear area at all. So it just adds another dimension to the park that was really worth the time and money. So that wraps up Katmai. That wraps up our experience at Katmai. And some of the logistics you're going to have to hurdle to get into Katmai. (laughs) Some of those fun logistics, but it's all well worth it. And if you have any questions, by the way, with any of this logistics type stuff, feel free to email us, to ask us on social media, um, just at Switchback Kids, and we'd be happy to talk more specifics with you. Yeah, we have helped out a few different people who are specifically asking us about Alaska because it's such a logistic um, nightmare <laughs> to visit the national parks in Alaska. And stay tuned for our ebook that's coming out about that's our, going to be our next book about all about uh, visiting the national parks in Alaska. So, to wrap up this whole conversation about planning ahead. Don't forget to, it's always good to be flexible once you're inside the park and like go with the flow and be cool and, and everything, but it always pays to do a little bit of planning ahead. And what I like to always do, I know this is like extra crazy, but plan to plan. So know, know whether or not you're going to have to plan. So, so if you are looking up some really, you know, general things about the park, you'll know whether or not you have to start planning now or you can wait to start planning later. So plan your plan. And that that's especially true if you're planning with a group or, friend, or friends or just with your kids for a big vacation. Um, you really got to be on top of your game. Yeah. Speaking of some planning things, should we get into our listener question for that sure. we got um, via email last week, and this is from Caleb. So Caleb says, My wife and I have visited a few national parks before, and we were wondering how you can find a good ranger to get advice and tips from. Are there any specific questions you can ask so you can get better answers? The reason I ask is sometimes after you talk to a ranger, you don't feel like you've received the, quote, best answer or most knowledgeable one, if you know what I mean. Well, Caleb, totally know what you mean, first Definitely. of Definitely. Um, so it's, it's really interesting talking with the rangers because it, it really is very situational, and they're all awesome people. We, didn't, we loved you know, and appreciated all the rangers we came into contact with. But that said... If you're in a place like a crowded visitor center where the ranger is simultaneously trying to ring up someone buying postcards or warn hikers about flash flooding, um, they may not have as much time to answer your completely innocent question. 
Yeah, so sometimes it's it's less about the question you ask than the situation uh, you ask it in. So we found that a really good time to kind of isolate rangers would be after a ranger program when they have a little bit of time to answer questions, even privately chat um, on a ranger hike or something like that. They seem to be a little bit more laid back and willing and um, willing to just have more of a conversation. And they know that you've put in the time to like hear what they have to say. They're, they're usually pretty willing to spend a little bit more time with talking to you after the ranger programs. Yeah, I particularly liked hanging out back after the night uh, evening programs because you know it's a little more relaxed feeling they don't have to rush off to something else you don't want to keep them for 30 minutes but I've always uh, had good experience with them being more than willing to hang around and answer a specific question of mine Um, I've even you know broken out the map and had and asked them like uh, could you explain this or something like that um that that was always a good time for me yeah and also just asking in a sort of way that allows them to share um their passion and love for the parks rather than just like their opinion on the best hike so instead of actually asking the question what's the best place to watch the sunset you could ask something like what's your favorite spot to watch the sunset now this might they might, they might just give you a generic answer, but they also, we've had some experiences where the rangers will, kind of their eyes will like light up and they'll tell us like this amazing secret spot in the park that nobody else knows about that they love watching the sunset from. So that's a, another strategy you could use. Yeah, and it might sound a little bit like semantics, but it really is important to frame it uh, like we're not expecting, you know, the answer from you. We don't need you to tell us definitively what is the best hike or viewpoint or whatever. We just want to hear from you. What's your opinion of your favorite spot, some place that you enjoyed one time? Uh, and I think allowing them to share their opinion versus, you know, expecting them to come up with an answer, uh, that framing really helps them uh, and frees them up to give you a good answer rather than just saying something that we heard several times uh, throughout our year. You know, when the ranger said, well, we don't really give recommendations, you know, or we like every part of the park. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, that's not exactly what you're looking for as a visitor, probably. Uh, As much as they want to, you know, play nice and we appreciate that, um, we know some areas are just going to give us a better uh, experience than others. Yeah, and remember that the rangers really aren't at liberty to talk about anything outside the park. So we've heard people ask about, you know, what restaurant should we go to or what campground should we camp at? And Rangers usually are equipped with some sort of information about things, but they really can't give recommendations on outside, um, like commercial, private um, experiences, activities. Right. And they'll usually tell you that. (laughs) And one thing I will also add, whatever you do, don't hold up the line at the entrance station by asking a million questions at that point. That is the wrong time to ask rangers (laughs) questions save them for the the visitor center or even better like we said a ranger program um so 
yeah and finally get get you don't be afraid to get a lot of um different opinions a variety of opinions on something you're interested in so maybe a specific trailer an area um asking so chatting with other people that you see in the park um talking to strangers is actually a way that we've gotten some awesome awesome advice I know um, when we were in Big Bend, the only reason we kayaked through Santa Elena Canyon is because we talked to, we met this, uh, saw this guy who was on a motorcycle and we kind of started chatting with him about his trip that he was doing. Um, And he recommended us kayak through Santa Elena Canyon instead of just hiking through it, which we were going to do. And that was probably the best part of Big Bend. Yeah, definitely. um, Chatting with people pays off. And we saw him in Carlsbad Caverns. That Same was guy. Wild. Okay. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's another story. Um, <laughs> but don't be afraid to talk to people at overlooks or you know when you're gathered around watching the sunset or so, a time when it makes sense to talk to someone. Bottom line, the rangers want to help you. They're there to help you, um, even when it seems like you know they're occupied with other things. Uh, don't be afraid to ask the specific questions you want. And if they kind of give an answer that, you know, you're not satisfied with or uh, different from what you're looking for, you know, ask it in a different way. I probably a lot more than Elizabeth would just kind of ask follow up after follow up, not an annoying way, but just kind of probing, probing to try to get um, to the answer. the answer I was looking for. And sometimes so, you just can't get to the answer and yeah. you just have to read the situation. Say thank and, you and move on. Yeah. And always be polite and patient and everything. Because they do deal with a lot of crazy, annoying people yeah. all day. And so you just keep that in mind and don't be one of them. But what I found okay, is thanks, if bye. you smile and are, are very polite, uh, you can, you know, kind of, uh, you have the liberty to ask um, more questions than otherwise. Yes. All right. Hope that answered your question. Thank you guys for checking us out today. We'll be back next week to discuss some of the seasonal considerations to make when visiting national parks. If you enjoyed the podcast, we'd love for you to share us with a friend, give us a rating on iTunes or SoundCloud, or find us on social media at Switchback Kids. And you can always get additional National Parks videos, posts, guides, and more on our blog at switchbackkids.com. Switchbacks out. getting situated you're stubbing my toes (laughs) reminds me of the good old days in the tent (laughs) (laughs) when we had two square feet to our name now you're just performing because you saw that i pressed record